Hey everybody and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Jason Lipschutz and I am an associate editor and the Pop Shop blog editor of Billboard.com. Based in New York on the other line in Los Angeles is the iPhone 6 to my iPhone 6 Plus, Keith Caulfield. How's it going, Keith? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I call you my iPhone, the iPhone 6 to my iPhone 6 Plus because I, f- you're, I feel like you're shorter than me, right? Probably like slightly. Yeah, I'm like I'm like six two. You're more of a basketball player, and I'm not. <laughs> In terms of you're height. not no no sport player, not yeah. at all. Well, there you go, man. Uh, did you watch the Apple event yesterday? No. Well, I tried to watch some of it, and then it went away um, uh, because of the streaming yeah, live issues. Stream problems. I, I was I was following along um, a little bit with uh, the tweets and and the live uh, the live blogs and so forth, but then I had actual work to do um yeah. so i couldn't i couldn't actually attend to the entire thing but of course i was very very into the uh surprise u2 element of it uh when that uh smashed into uh the pop culture Absolutely. world yesterday yeah and we're going to start our pop shop podcast talking about u2 and their su- surprise new album songs of innocence after that we're going to talk about maroon 5 hitting number one again uh for the second time with their new album as well as a new number one on the Hot 100 chart. Yes, that's right. Taylor Swift's Shake It Off has been shaken out of number one. Also, we are going to get to an interview with Jordan Knight and Nick Carter, better known as Nick and Knight. The duo stopped by the Billboard Studios to talk about their new collaborative album, as well as reflect on boy band days of yore. So, Keith, are you ready to roll? Yes. <laughs> You seem very focused today, like you're you're in the zone. Uh, truth be told, I'm very focused on listening to the words that you are saying because uh, I'm having a hard time hearing you. But it's, it's because I'm really also passionate about listening to you very attentively. I don't know if you can tell. I've, I've had a cold the past couple of days. Do I sound okay? Do I sound like um, I'm, I'm hanging in there okay? You sound, you sound fine. Oh, well, that's good. Okay, yeah, great. I think. So, <laughs> so... On that note, uh, Key, let's talk about you 2 They've surprise released a new album yesterday. So let's recap a little bit what happened. So at the Apple event, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, is showing off the iPhone 6 and the iPhone 6 Plus and the new Apple Watch, um, apparently the watch that can do everything. And then he announces that U2 is in the building. U2 comes out, plays a new song, The Miracle of Joey Ramone. And then there's this kind of this back and forth teasing of like, well, we have this new album. How can we get it out to the masses? And and then it's like, well, what if it's on iTunes in five seconds? So then, you know, the big reveal is that U2's long-awaited follow-up to 2009's No Line on the Horizon is released through iTunes for free to 500 million iTunes subscribers across 119 countries Uh Keith, this is this was pretty stunning. Um, do you rule this as pulling a Beyonce? We've t- we've talked about pulling a Beyonce on the show before. What are the differences between this release and what Beyonce did? So whenever we talk about pulling a Beyonce, we mean um, how Beyonce released her self-titled album last December as a surprise release, um, surprise where it just magically appeared in the iTunes store and exclusively in the iTunes store as an album that you could purchase only as a full album and not by individual tracks. And it was exclusive to iTunes for a week until other retailers started to get it about uh, about like seven to 10 days later. 
So I think U2's release of their new album is about as close as you can get to pulling a Beyonce without pulling exactly a Beyonce because we'll probably never see anyone do it exactly like Beyonce did. Um, much like Beyonce, we knew that U2 was working on an album and they had been for a long time. Um, both of them have something in common where Beyonce um, had a lot of interest drummed up around her, around her Super Bowl performance, um, which many assumed would lead to a new album being released, but that didn't happen, at least in the short term. Um, U2 premiered a new song during the Super Bowl um, in a commercial that was a charitable single. Many thought that that was going to lead up to a new album in the short term, but it didn't. And there were lots of um, stories, especially stories that Billboard wrote about how the album was delayed and probably wasn't going to come out until 2015. So we knew that there was an album coming. We just didn't know when it was going to come out. And then uh, once word leaked last week about um, U2 possibly doing something with iTunes and Apple at their event this week, I think people started to try to like uh, conceive of ideas. You know, would the album be packaged inside the phone? Um, you know, how would they deliver? Would it be a performance at the show? You know, at the, at the press conference. Um, so it's like a Beyonce, not exactly a Beyonce, but as close as we're probably going to get, at least right now. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the thing, is that there were rumors about U2 doing something with this Apple event, um, and I think that a lot of people were speculating that it was going to involve their new album, which, like Beyonce, like you just said, was kind of delayed. We didn't know when it was coming out. It might be coming out soon, and now it is arrived. So it is free. That Another big difference, like you said, it's free to iTunes users. Beyonce's not, album not just free, free, but sort of like a forced free. It, it just magically appears in your library. Um, you know, does it? it, it I I don't know about that. It it does. Well, I I mean that's how they sort of off. That's how they sort of sold it. Like you just go to your purchased uh, albums library and it's there. You just click it and then it comes to you. So I'm I I could be a little unclear on the mechanics yeah, of it. I think it's working a little bit differently for each user ultimately. Yeah, that I think you're right on that because for me, I had to like click the download button in the iTunes store. So I although I have I have heard other people kind of describe it as like. Oh, now it just magically appeared. So yeah, maybe it's different for different users. Um, but yeah, so this is a free album for a little over a month. It's going to be released physically on October 14th. Free and exclusive to iTunes until October 14th, um, which is a much longer exclusive window than Beyonce had with iTunes, which was only a week. And that was, you know, an album that you had to pay for. Um so it's also, you know, it's exclusive, we already said exclusive to iTunes, but it's also exclusive to the Beats streaming music service until the 14th as well. So iTunes and Apple has it on lockdown uh, for the next like month and a half. Yeah, and obviously Apple bought Beats by Dre a couple months ago. Um, so Keith, turning to the charts, because, you know, this is a, a chart show. Uh, U2's album, Songs of Innocence, is out in the world. People are listening to it. However, it will not chart on the Billboard 200 chart until it goes on sale next week. So can you just refresh our listeners' memories as to why that is? Okay, well, the Billboard 200 album chart, which U2 has actually had seven number one albums on, is a sales chart. It's always been a sales chart, and a sales chart based on sales to consumers. Um, So the consumer actually has to purchase an album in order for it to count on the Billboard 200 chart. That's the way it's always worked. U2's new album is free. It's not actually being sold to the consumer, though certainly U2 was paid for this promotion. Um, Consumers aren't actually having to pay anything for it. It's free. So it won't actually chart on the Billboard 200 until it goes on sale on October 14th. 
and uh, that's when it will de- debut finally on the Billboard 200 chart. And you know, there's there's sort of been examples of this in the past. Radiohead released um, their In Rainbows album um, for a Name Your Price uh, yeah. scheme, where you could you could download it for free if you wanted, or you give them a buck, ten bucks, twenty bucks, whatever you wanted to do. Um, we couldn't get. Um, transaction data, I believe, um, from Radiohead's camp when they did this, and this was years ago. Um, things have changed a lot, you know, since then. Um, but you know, free didn't count then, and it doesn't count now. Free didn't count when Jay Z released his uh, um, Magna Carta, Holy Grail, um, through Samsung. Those free copies that he gave away to Samsung users did not count on the chart because they were again free. Uh, so this is nothing new. Um, so. Uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah, that that makes total sense to me. So again, this will be on the Billboard 200 Albums chart uh, in mid October when it is released officially for physical uh, purchase and whatnot, and and digital purchase. Where will you two show up on the Billboard charts, though? They can chart on tons of charts. I mean, we've got a million different charts. So I mean, that's the charts beauty. on charts. That we, that's the beauty of Billboard. We've got a lot of charts to chart you. Um, you know, you two can chart on our new Artist 100 chart, which ranks the 100 most popular artists in the country based upon, you know, um, streaming songs, streaming uh, song sales, um, uh, album sales, uh, social metrics, and so forth. Now, obviously, this new album and its songs are not being sold, but they are being streamed on Beats, and Beats Music is one of the streaming providers that gives Billboard its streaming data. So that is put into all of our charts. Um, that includes streaming information, um, like the Billboard Hot 100, or Hot Rock Songs, or Streaming Songs, or the Artist 100. All of those charts take into account streaming information. So if the album does exceptionally well on Beats, we could see YouTube pop up on a lot of our charts that include streaming information. Um, they could certainly make a splash on our Social 50 chart, which ranks the 50 most popular artists across social networks. Considering that YouTube probably lit up a lot of social networks with the news of their album, I would imagine they could probably show up on the chart next week. Um, so yeah, there's a ton of charts they could show up on. They just won't show up on that one particular sales chart that includes albums that are being sold because they're not selling their album to consumers. So got it, got yeah. it, got it. And and one thing I asked you yesterday when all this hoopla was was going on about you two was I, I was like, hey, is this album going to be eligible for Grammys because it is you know it's out in the world before the Grammy deadline, which is the end of September. However, it won't be out for sale until after the Grammy deadline, which is, you know, it, it'll be out on October 14th. And you you reached out to the Grammys and they said, no, it, it will not be eligible for this year's Grammys. That's correct. <laughs> Would you like me I was to letting expand? You expa- I was letting you expand on that, yeah. Yeah, so the deadline for the upcoming Grammy Awards, which will take place in February, is actually September 30th. The, the Grammy eligibility period runs usually the 1st of October of the previous year to the end of September. Um, and oftentimes you will see a lot of superstar artists release albums and singles in September in the run-up to the fourth quarter when a lot of albums and music are sold because of Christmas time, but also because of the Grammy Award eligibility period ending on September 30th. Um, you know, certain heritage classic artists like Barbra Streisand, Annie Lennox, um, 
you know, Aretha Franklin, I think, has an album that's supposed to come out towards the end of the month. You know, those artists are kind of, you know, Grammy bait in a way. You know, they're, they they might get a Grammy nomination, and it's good to make sure that the album is fresh in Grammy voters' minds. So when you 2 released their album for free, um, that was a good question to ask, and so we posed the question to the Grammys, and they said no, uh, because the album is not actually on sale widely to all accounts that sell music it actually will not be eligible for the upcoming Grammy Awards, but it will be eligible for the next Grammy Awards that will yeah. take place in 2016. Now, who knows? Um, when we told um, Guy Osiri, who manages U2, or is one of U2's managers, when we told him about this um, over the phone, he he said that he didn't know about that particular decision, um, probably because he was focused on just getting the album out through iTunes. Yeah, it was a, bu- it was a busy day, I would say. It was say. a busy day for Guy. Um, and he said, I think that he was going to, or we we said in a story that he was going to you know, start a dialogue with the Academy, the Recording Academy, which runs the Grammy Awards. So who knows? Maybe okay. they could make an appeal and change their mind. So we'll see. Okay. So, I, I mean, also of note, uh, Bono had a, uh, had a post in, I believe, the uh, official U2 website, uh, teasing a companion album to Songs of Innocence called Song- Songs of Experience, kind of the same way that Justin Timberlake teased a 2020 experience part two of two. Um, he didn't say anything about the release date or anything, but he, he said that if you like Songs of Innocence, stick around for Songs of Experience. I am paraphrasing, but he said something along those lines. Um, I've spent some time with this album. I, I, think, it's, I think it's pretty good. I, I think Songs of Innocence is basically the best case scenario for a U2 album in 2014 and you know I I know you haven't gotten a chance to listen to it too closely yet Keith but what I will say is that Danger Mouse produced a lot of this record and it kind of reminds me a little bit of his work with Broken Bells uh, his collaboration with James Mercer of The Shins in, in just the uh, the guitar arrangements and in the melodies and in just in terms of the song structure it, it does kind of sound like you two working with not just Danger Mouse of uh, of so many different projects, but Danger Mouse of Broken Bells. So I I, uh, I implore people who are you know who haven't listened to it, check it out, give it a listen. Um, the last thing I want to ask Keith before we move on because we got a lot to get to is: Do you think that there's still going to be interest in this album around the physical release? Because yeah, I mean, like you said, Beyonce, the self titled album was exclusive to iTunes for a week, and then you know people were still talking about it a week later when it went on sale at other places but but this is like five weeks you, yeah. you got of just just itunes and then it'll be at like target and and you know other retailers and what what do you think you think it's, that it, it's a really it's a really long amount of time for something to yeah be it really is right both exclusive and free so you know you have to think you know what what music consumer or you know what what person who enjoys music who plays music doesn't have an iTunes account are there really that many of them and uh you know or how many U2 fans are going to be passionate enough to want to purchase the album on its own in a physical format once it does come out now those two things are things to consider in addition to how U2 will release a deluxe version of this album on the 14th. So what you're hearing now is the standard version of the album. And then on the 14th, uh, both the standard and deluxe version that has a couple bonus songs will be released uh, commercially. So 
you know, there's a little bit of a bonus if you hold out until then. So I, this is all uncharted territory. You don't really know yeah. what the album's really going to do. But as someone reminded me, you know, Radiohead's album, which we talked about earlier, which was, you know, sold initially as a name your own price album, that ultimately sold, you know, I guess it's approaching a million copies now. So, yeah. you know, but that was also a very different time, you know, as as people transition to streaming, and, and you know, clearly, this is a, a, a gamble on directing people to the beat streaming service in addition to iTunes, in addition to the iPhone and iPhone six and everything else that Apple is doing. Um, you know, it, Will there be anyone left to necessarily care about the album in five, six weeks? That is the million dollar question right now. Well, here, here's the thing. I mean, I mean, you got to think about it a little bit from U2's perspective. Now, U2, like you said, they got paid to do this. They they got paid to give their album away for free by Apple. Um, but if you think about it from a U2 perspective as well, they want people to just hear these songs. Like if you're U2, you're setting up, you know, the follow-up tour to the 360 tour, which is, you know, one of the biggest tours ever. You want people to experience these songs some way and and just gifting them these songs, you know, to millions and millions of iTunes users is, is kind of a great way to do that. I, I mean, you know, like, like I said, like U2 is, is not like, it. I don't think it's going to matter too much for U2 if they sell, you know, 300,000 copies of this album versus 500,000 copies. So I'm just talking about the band right now. What they want to do is is just get this music to the people and have people know these songs when they bring them out on tour. And then obviously with Apple, it, I mean, it gives them a great look for this whole iPhone launch and, you know, partnering with U2. People have to download iTunes if if they haven't already. It's yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a, a, a big win, I think, for the band. I, I guess we'll cover that in the days and weeks ahead. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a really... And, and just the last thing uh, I'll say about this, Keith, I know we've talked about this for almost 20 minutes, but you know, you, you mentioned uncharted territory, and, and we talk about how album sales are always down. We're going to talk about the Billboard 200 albums chart in a second, but it is kind of an... It's just an exciting time in the music industry, despite the fact that people are buying less and less albums you know there there's more innovation going on you you talk about like what beyonce did a couple months ago and now u2 is is doing something that hasn't really been done before i i I find it fascinating what what do you think um it's a wonderful exercise in advertising i mean this is really what it is Uh, apple purchased the exclusive rights to U2 and the promotion of U2 and its new album for six weeks basically and U2 got a very nice tidy sum of money out of it. So it worked out wonderfully in terms of the promotion of the band U2. Now, is this necessarily good for music? Is this good for telling consumers that music is free and that music is actually not worth anything? Because yes, U2 was paid for their album by a corporation. And the number of people that can actually pull off this kind of scheme the way U2 did is very, very limited. You're, you're just yeah. talking a handful of superstars that can pull off some sort of corporate synergy deal involving you know, this kind of release. Now, the average act cannot do this. So you know, what is this True. teaching consumers? Is this teaching consumers that music is worthless? Is this teaching consumers that they should expect music to be free all the time and only pay for concert tickets? You know, There's a lot of questions to be asked about this. And I also find it interesting that on the same day as U2 gave away their album for free to 
hundreds of millions of people, you know, p- a potential hundreds of millions of people, because we don't know how many people will actually yeah. download it and listen to it. Yeah. Um, it was also the same day that Apple quietly discontinued the iPod Classic yeah, device. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the the lone device that was dedicated solely to playing music, um, it held 160 uh, gigabytes uh, gigabytes um, of music, and it was the biggest, uh, highest capacity device that they had. Uh, more more space on it than you know the iPad and the iPhone and all their other i devices, and uh, it went away on the same day that you two decided to release a new album. I think it's an interesting uh, cosmic. Uh, meeting there of the device that helped iTunes become the biggest retailer of music in the world and changed how we consume music went away on the same day that one of the biggest bands in the world decides to give away their album completely for free thanks to iTunes. Yeah, that's a great point. I I mean... We could talk about this on and on, but uh, you know what? If if you have any thoughts on U2 and on their uh, album release and you know their partnership with Apple, what it means for the future of music, tweet us at Keith Caulfield and at Jason Lipschutz. Uh, I, I want to hear from everybody uh, listening and and yeah, see what they say about what this business model means for the future of music. So, so I did Keith, say 160 gigabytes, right? Yeah. Okay, good. I'm like megabytes. I hope I didn't say megabytes. <laughs> yeah, that would be a shame, right? That, that, that would, would be, be like, a really small like device. Two albums. Yeah. Um, okay, so speaking of albums, uh, Maroon 5 is number one on the Billboard 200 albums chart, uh, their second number one album of their career. And Keith, how much did 5 or V or 5V, how much did it sell? Uh, it sold 164,000 copies in the week ending September 7th giving Maroon 5 their second number one album, and their first since it won't be soon before long, <laughs> back in 2007. <laughs> it's, when, every time I write that that title out, I always pause and think, did I actually get it right? It won't be soon before long. Did I get it right? It won't be long before soon? It won't be. Well, yeah. yeah. I know, man. Sooner but than it, later? So they barely missed uh, a number one on their last try. I, I, I think two years ago, Lincoln Park blocked them. Yeah, it was. It was like I think like maybe a thousand copies. It was. Like I a, remember that it was a thousand or two. It was really small. It was a race for number one in Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park beat them to number one. But who's so, got the last laugh now? Who's got the last laugh? Adam Levine. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, not much to say about this number one. We kind of saw this coming last week, as forecasted by you and by industry sources. Um, you know, Maps is another top 10 hit for the band. Animals uh, is their follow-up featured in a, in a Kia commercial that I cannot avoid at all costs. I, I feel like I've seen that Kia commercial with Animals by Maroon 5 everywhere I go. And Adam Levine going to be on The Voice in a couple weeks as well. Uh, Jeezy, one of my favorite rappers, is at number two with Seen It All, the autobiography. And again, like, like Maroon 5, it sells, you know, quite a bit less than his last album but you know that's just sort of how it goes such is the case these days with album sales yeah oh, how, much, uh, how much how much was why uh, didn't you hook up with apple and release your album for free <laughs> for six weeks oh wait apple probably wouldn't have wanted to do that with you yeah you never know you never know you never know reach a whole new consumer so how, how much consumer, how much you know did, what i mean <laughs> how much did uh Seen It All Sell compared to TM103, which uh, was his last album in 2011. Yeah, so Seen It All, the new album, sold 121,000. His last album, um, TM103 Hustlers Ambition, 
did uh, 233,000. You know, every time I type in TM col- uh, colon 103 Hustler's Ambition, uh, my autocorrect changes it to trademark. Oh. So I have to put a space between T and M every time I type that out. So it, oh, oh, woe is me for having to type in T space M instead of trademark. Do you know what TM stands for in I, the case of Jeezy? I don't know. Tell me, Jason. Thug motivation, my man. Why didn't he um, just call it Thug Motivation 103? Well, you know what? He loves his acronyms. Uh, I, I should say that uh, I, I spoke with Erica Ramirez of the Juice on the Juice podcast extensively about Jeezy's new album. Check that out on Billboard.com. He should have named um, his new album Sia, the autobiography, you know, an acronym for seen it all. <laughs> if he likes acronyms and abbreviations. I love that. Yeah. Sia colon T-A. Um, so before we move on from the Billboard 200 chart, Keith, you wrote about Bob Marley scoring his highest charting album ever, which is pretty incredible to me. And uh, let, let's talk about this. How, how did this happen? Some might say that he get up and stand up on the chart this week. Oh, Some might oh that say. was tough. That was a tough one. Um, anyway, yeah. So uh, Bob Marley's legend, Greatest Hits album, which... Um, has sold uh, more than 10 million copies uh, in the U.S. I think its total sales are in the teens now. Um, uh, The album actually came out in 1984, um, but never even hit the top 10 until this week. Finally, um, thanks to Google Play selling it for 99 cents. Hey! So the album actually sold 41,000 copies, which is its best sales week since 1993. It jumped from number 100 to number 5, therefore making it Bob Marley's highest charting album ever. He's only had one other previous top 10. Uh, in 1976, Rastaman Vibration went to number eight on July 4th, 1976. But yeah, so the, this album, which probably most people own, or you, you might know someone that actually does own it. It's just one of those albums. Never hit the top 10 until this week. It's Unbelievable. One of the, it's one of the biggest selling albums with the lowest peak on the chart, at least until this week, because it only peaked at number 18 until today. Crazy. Unbelievable. Thanks, Google. So, 99 cents, baby. Pretty cool. And again, if you have not read Keith's full Billboard 200 chart breakdown, check that out on the Billboard or on Billboard.com. It's on the homepage right now. Um, Keith, so I know we kind of buried the lead a little bit. I mean, we, we had to talk about U2, we had to talk about Maroon 5, but we have a new Hot 100 number one, and it is by Megan Trainer. All About That Bass is finally. finally number one. Good for her. Good for her indeed. Congratulations to Megan Trainer. She was on the Pop Shop podcast a few weeks ago. All About That Bass is her first Hot 100 hit, and now her first Hot 100 number one. So, Keith, this song... We talked about it a few weeks ago, was basically blocked by Taylor Swift's Shake It Off. Uh, When that song debuted, it debuted at number one. Uh, Megan Trainor, it it was going to go number one probably just because of of the stats involved, but then it was blocked. But now it overtakes Shake It Off. By Taylor Swift. So what happened to, to finally push it to number one? Well, Shake It Off lost in sales, and it lost in uh, streams. So Taylor had a natural decline, and Megan continued to gain. You know, her song didn't actually fall apart, as sometimes happens, you know, with the way the chart works. You know, sometimes a song that peaks at number two behind a really big number one hit 
that song that's its one week where it has the most points and it doesn't go any higher than number two and it's stuck you know we've had a i mean there's wonderful examples of songs that spin week upon week at number two um famously um uh, foreigners waiting for a girl like you spent uh, i believe it was 10 weeks at number two yeah. um back in the day um missy elliott's work it uh, spent 10 weeks at number two um and and stuck at number two couldn't get to number one uh megan trainer however does not have that tragic I am trapped at number two story fall upon her. Uh, she was able to hold on, and she actually has a big gain in points this week. In fact, um, her the, the amount of points that she has this week would have been um, compared to Taylor Swift a week ago. She would have been number one. With the points she has this week, she would have been number one a week ago had she has the number of points. Does that make sense? Like Yes. It's like she's bigger than Taylor Swift was a week ago. Hey. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, no, it's a big, it's a big week. And you know, by the way, this is the first song to be number one with the word bass in it. No it way. Not. Really? Yeah. Super bass by Nicki Minaj was the uh, previous highest charting ah. song with the word bass in it. It went to number three, I believe. Pretty cool. It's, it's a cool, it's, it's been a great year for, uh, you know, for female artists, new ladies. for new, yeah, for new ladies on the Hot 100. I mean, you think about Iggy Azalea, um, and she's still in the top 10 with Black Widow. Yeah, Iggy, and, uh, Iggy Azalea and Megan Trainor um, both hit number one with their first chart entry. Um, and I think that's the first time that we've had two women hit number one with their first single, their first charting single since 2008 when uh, Leona Lewis hit number one with bleeding love and Katy perry hit number one with i kissed a girl so it's it's a good year for uh ladies making their way onto the hot 100 for the first time ladies making their way so ladies making their way to, uh... the world today takes <laughs> oh man uh on that note we uh we got to move on keith uh first yeah like i said congrats to megan trainer uh very cool we will check in on the hot 100 Next week, it's it's uh, it's a busy week, man, and we got to get to our interview of the week again. Nick Carter and Jordan Knight of uh, Backstreet Boys and New Kids on the Block, respectively, have joined forces to form Nick and Knight. They released their debut album last week, and we caught up with the guys in the Billboard Studios in New York. They talked about you know how this project came about, um, getting the blessing of their other boy band members, and they looked back a little bit on uh, their their favorite. BSB and New Kids on the Block songs, uh, Jordan naming his favorite BSB stuff, Nick naming his favorite NKOTB stuff. So again, here is Nick and Knight on the Pop Shop Podcast. So I'm sure you guys have been asked this a bunch, but how did this start? Like, I'm sure that you guys bonded on the tour when you guys were touring together, but at what point did you guys sit down and say, okay, let's actually do this, let's actually start putting these songs together let's let's make it a, a duo i mean i think i think it started years ago we we met in the studio years and years ago and um we just there's always been a chemistry between us we've always kind of like anytime we've seen each other cross paths or whatever it was just well i kind of feel like we're kindred spirits in a way and um you know when we went on tour and we uh you know i saw him on stage and you know uh and when we performed together on stage it just felt really natural we kind of have the same kind of the same style on stage and the same uh, approach to our singing and, and music and stuff like that so 
I, it was just always a natural fit. And we talked about actually touring together before we talked about doing music, but we thought, you know, doing the music was a lot more important, doing something together musically instead of just touring. We wanted to, you know, do something really creative and come up with something new and fresh, unlike we would what we would do with, you know, our respective groups or even solo. So, um, you know, we just gave ourselves freedom when we're in the studio and uh, we didn't want to put limitations on ourselves. And um, I think that you really hear that uh, on, on the album. So when you guys started working on this, did you guys like, I'm sure everybody from New Kids and from BSP was on board, but did you guys like ask for a blessing or any, anything like that? Just like, because you guys are both really busy with both uh, of your groups. Like mm -hmm. you had to fit in this in during some downtime. Was like, was that ever a concern? I mean, I think that um, this project, for me, I think it's maybe the same for Jordan. It's very, it was very personal. Um, it, it was it was something that. So basically, we never. I never really said anything to the group until I wanted the music to speak for itself, you know. And it kind of worked because, in a, in a way, I, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, I personally felt like I had something to prove. You know, to my other band mates. You know, I am the youngest in my band, so I kind of had that little younger brother complex thing going right. on, anyways. Um, but um, AJ had given me a call uh, two day yesterday, actually, and he said, he said, "Man, I listened to the album. You know, I, I bought it. Uh, you know, you sounded really great. You know, the, I heard the song, the single. You looked great on on GMA. All these other things. So, I just, it, it's it's nice when when." When it happens organically, you don't have to shove it down someone's throat. Look what I'm doing, you know what I mean? And, and I think that's that's how I approach the entire project. So, it's the music is working. So you guys have a sh uh, bunch of shows coming up. Yeah, tour, total mm -hmm. tour. What um, what can fans expect just in terms of like a set list? Like I, I know you said that you guys were thinking of actually touring before releasing an album. Like, is there going to be like, are you guys going to do? the whole album? Is there going to be new kid stuff? Is there going to be BSB stuff? Like what, or is it solo stuff as well? What, what can we expect? Yeah, I mean all of the above. We're going to do, we're going to do all the songs on our new album. We're going to do solo songs. We'll probably, we'll probably do a Backstreet song, a new kid song. Um, we're going to do like an acoustic set where he jumps on the guitar, I jump on the piano. Um, and the thing, you know, we want, we want to go on stage and we want to have fun with the crowd. We want to interact with the crowd. We want to get them going. And, you know, we've been doing it f for a long time and we, we kind of know how to get them going. But we want to surprise them as well. So we're, we're, we, ha we have a few tricks up, uh, tricks up our sleeves, but, you know, we're going we're gonna to give the people what they want, basically. The last thing I want to have you guys do to, to throw it back a little bit, if that's okay with you guys. <coughs> Um, so we have this series on Billboard.com called Gimme Five, where we ask people who come in their five favorite artists, five favorite songs of the moment, et cetera, et cetera. So I wanted mm. to see if you guys, I'm going to put you guys on the spot a little bit right now. You guys have spent a lot of time together uh, bonding, doing some, you know, preparing some new kid songs, some BSB songs. So I, I wanted to see if you guys, Jordan, if you want to name your oh, five shit. favorite Nick, either solo or BSB songs, and then Nick, same thing, five favorite Jordan or New Kid songs. Um, okay. So I don't know if one of you guys wants to um, go first, but uh, Nick I'm Carter, curious. Nick Carter, Falling Down. <laughs> falling Down. It's a great song. Yes. Burning Up, Falling Down, Burning Up. Um, um, 
What's the song you, you guys sang that's kind of sound like a country song? Um, drowning. You got, you got drowning. 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 Um, incomplete. Oh, um, yes. All right. Incomplete is incomplete. the jam Incredible. I love, um, obviously, Give It To You, which, I, I, which interesting enough, I, when I saw him do that video long long time ago, I was just like, man, that, that, that dude can dance his ass off, and he's dope, right? So uh, that song was great. Um, obviously, I love Step by Step. Um, uh, I love Blow Your Mind. Didn't I blow your mind? Didn't I blow your mind, right? And mm-hmm. then um, what's the one you did at the end of the show? Uh, tonight? No. Oh, I love Tonight. Actually, yeah, I, really love tonight. Yeah. I would always sing Tonight because it would be literally... The, the, I don't know if it was the show version or the original version, but we, I'd, I'd wake up the next morning after doing that show, and I'd be like this. I'd be sleeping, and be like... That's all. It would be freaking ringing through my head. So thanks again to Nick Carter and Jordan Knight for joining us on the Pop Shop Podcast. It was great to uh, finally meet those guys and... Uh, it's, I mean, this album's just a lot of fun. I I told them off camera that it's just been, it's just a really fun, giddy listen. Um, so check that out as well. Keith, what what were you going to say? I was going to say it's clearly a fun, giddy listen to a lot of consumers because it debuts at number 24 on the Billboard 200 this week. So, uh, congratulations to them on yet another top 40 album, uh, between the two of them. They've tried it before individually, uh, Jordan and, uh, Nick have both charted with their own solo projects, um. But it's uh, it's fun to see all the different confluences of NKOTBSB together <laughs> on the chart. Very true. And speaking of which, I asked Jordan Knight about his awesome solo single, Give It To You, which he wrote with a 17-year-old Robin Thicke. Wow, told, I didn't know that, really? Yes, he did. And he told the entire story of how that song came together. That will be on Billboard.com at some point in the near future. But before that... Keith, we got to get to your chart set of the week. Hey, so this week in 1986, Berlin, Berlin, not the city, not the city, but the pop rock group Berlin topped the Billboard Hot 100 chart with Take My Breath Away from the movie Top Gun. Produced and co-written by Giorgio Moroder, the song hit number one on the September 13th dated chart and would later win the Academy Award for Best Original Song. As one of its two songwriters, uh, Giorgio Moroder won the Oscar, which was actually his third Academy Award. Um, Berlin never actually charted another top 10 hit on the Hot 100, and notably, its second highest charting single was actually another Giorgio Moroder song, No More Words, which I love, uh, hit number 23 a couple years earlier, back in 1984. Of course, Giorgio Moroder um, has been in the news uh, as of late. He was a collaborator on Daft Punk's Random Access Memories album, which was a huge album for Daft Punk uh, back in 2013. And that album went on to win the Grammy Award for Album of the Year. And thus, because Moroder was one of the collaborators on the album, he also won a Grammy, which was his fourth award uh, fourth grammy award um and he continues to remix and dj and he's been playing some festival dates and so forth so anyways yeah man i saw him i saw him uh at pitchfork fest this year with my dad he was awesome and he played take my breath away with uh the visuals like of top gun it was so cool Ah, so well there you go that is your chart stat of the week thank you keith for your chart stat of the week (laughs) 
All right, man, we got to wrap up. Uh, we, we had a lot to talk about this week, and we I'm sure we're going to have a lot to talk about next week. Um, I'm actually going to be in your neck of the woods. Well, not close to your neck of the woods next week. I will be going out to Vegas for the iHeartRadio Music Festival. Um, I think we'll preview that a little bit on next week's show. And uh, yeah, man, we'll, we'll talk about Hot 100, Billboard 200, and maybe check in on you two as well. Keith, do you have any parting words? 25 years ago this week, the New Kids on the Block's Hangin' Tough album and single both topped the Billboard 200 and the Billboard Hot 100 at the same time. Was that was that just an additional chart out of the week? Yeah, it was a bonus because of the whole oh Nick and Knight thing. Oh my God. There well, go. let's, let's go out on Hangin' Tough by New Kids on the Block. Thank you all for listening and take care. Oh.